Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am so happy to be here today with Phil Allred. Phil, thank, thank you. you for taking the time. Honored. To come all the way down the hallway. <laughs> That's right. Big journey. <laughs> to uh, to hang out with me for a minute as we talk about uh, some great things with Elder Holland today. But before we do, just tell us a little bit about you. You know, what, what about your your life growing up, your mission, your marriage, just anything that would be kind of kind of cool and interesting. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like a, a Christmas story. That, that, that <laughs> Remember that he writes his little essay about getting the Red Rider Brigibe gun, and he, he thinks he's going to get an A++ and be carried around on the shoulders of the students. You know? Right. And I had a moment like that when I was in first grade. I was told that we were to introduce each other, you know, and say something interesting about ourselves. And I thought, oh, I've got something great. And I said, so my name's Philip Allred, and I was born in chicken. <laughs> and I was expecting, you know, applause, yeah. uh, eruptions, you know, shoulder carrying. And my teacher came and stood by the side of me, and she said, Philip was actually born in a foreign country, but uh, it was Turkey, not chicken. <laughs> there you and go. So uh, that was my auspicious beginning to yeah. introducing myself, and so it's all been downhill from there. But uh, I was born overseas. My father was in Air Force Intelligence. Yeah. And uh, and then lived as a boy in California and Riverside, and then in Maine. I remember Maine. Yeah. Uh, and then they got out of the service <clears throat> and pursued education. Both my parents. In, where they had grown up in Burley, Idaho. So from, from Turkey right, <laughs> to Burley, Idaho. And then uh, I, I attended BYU uh, before the mission and, and where I served in Osaka, Japan, and then came back and uh, changed my major and met an amazing person, Jennifer, from Rochester, New York. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, an incredible person. And <clears throat> so lovely life we've had together. We have three children and we're close as a family and... We have a son-in-law as well, and uh, so we're hoping that uh, there might be something else in the offing. We'll see, but uh, here we're on assignment uh, from BYU-Idaho. I had the privilege of teaching at BYU-Idaho for nearly 25 years. I got there just before. I was I was hired to Rick's. Yeah. And in a month before I actually got to teach, yeah, there was a big meeting, and I was invited, and there was President Hinckley on the screen changing it to BYU-Idaho. Right. So hired was... to Rick's, never taught there. Wow. And so and so tell us a little bit about that, though. You arrive on the campus, just here's Elder Bednar and his team uh, making that transition from from Rick's College to BYU-Idaho. What was your, or your interactions with Elder Bednar like uh, in those oh, days? You know, Elder Bednar is just such an interesting and uh, incredible personality. He's just, he's so, um, he's, you're, you're kind of nervous to be in his presence. He's just so good. And yeah. he's just so... Like wow, you know what I mean? So, and you're you're worried he's going to ask you for an inspired question. And I'm I'm walking around going, I don't think I. I mean, I have lots of questions. I don't know if they're inspired. You know? <laughs> right. But uh, he was delightful to work with, and uh, he taught a course with all uh, you know for the students on the teachings of living prophets class, and and I was supposed to join him in it, and I kept getting these opportunities to go on student um, educational. Uh, academic travel things, and so I missed my chance to, to to get to teach with him. But I did have a lot of different interactions in various committees and things, and he was just 
always so sharp, always so careful, on point with the doctrine, on right. point with the principles of the gospel, and just unswervingly true to Jesus, you know, and, and just amazing. He, he turned so many things over to his team, and then he, he, he was so good at facilitating people doing their best work. Right. And I really enjoyed that about Elder Bednar. And so, um, but then the next president came, which was Elder Kim B. Clark, right? Wow. From Harvard Business School. And I did get to teach with him. Oh, wow. And we taught that class. <laughs> and we you taught, taught Living Prophets with, with Elder him Clark. Oh, my for gosh. like eight years. Every oh. winter semester. And and I kept telling him, I said, I think the idea here is that we're going to spread this around, right? And he said, no, you and I got a good thing. That's it. We're just doing it. <laughs> he, he didn't want to retool or anything. He was just like, we got this thing. We got it. Let's uh, go. So it was, a, it was a tremendous opportunity to work with both of those wonderful presidents and yeah. presidents since then. Oh, that's so awesome. So, Phil, one of the uh, one of the highlights in my that I that I have, am aware of is that you spent some time at Notre Dame. You did a master's degree there. True. What was it like being one of the only LDS people? I'm <laughs> guessing, yes. or at least students on that campus for you. Yeah, it was a great experience, and uh, I, I had the privilege of room being roommates with Alonzo Gaskill, Dr. Yeah. Gaskill, and so the two of us went and did that together. And I'll tell you a quick story. I, just a, a neat thing happened. I I was in a little breakout group. Uh, in a class on the book of Hebrews. Okay. And uh, this little breakout group, we had several Catholic students, a couple of Methodist students, an agnostic, and, and then it was me, the Latter-day Saint, right? Member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and anyway, somehow the topic devolved into Eve bashing. Not sure totally how we got there, but there was this, the, and it was pretty, pretty, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, you know. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, this is my first class there, and I thought, I think I need to say something, but I'm a little nervous. I don't, I'm new at this. And so I thought, I just, I just gotta say something. So I said, guys, if Eve doesn't eat the fruit, none of us are here to talk about this. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was kind of thought, okay, Duke's up. All right, ready? here we go. Here we go. You know, it's on, you know. <laughs> and instead I had these kind of blank stares, slack jaws, and they, they didn't have a response. And so in my, you know, natural man mind, I thought, ooh, one for Phil, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then the spirit was so quick to say, but why are you so smart? Like, these yeah. are smart guys. You're in grad school. You know, how did you? And I was like, well, second Nephi, you know, that was pretty easy. Yeah. And then the spirit was like, yeah, that's not in their book, is it? Yeah. I mean, literally, <laughs> just like that. It's not in their book, is it? And I was so humbled in that moment. I mean, I, I thought I appreciated the restoration. I thought I appreciated the, the, the scriptures that have come forth through Joseph Smith, right? And the living prophets. I thought I got that. But in that moment, it was so beautiful because I was deeply humbled. And as I watched these fellow students live very Christian lives, very good lives, be very impressive individuals, but they had a much smaller book than mine. Right. I was humbled. And this, it was like the Spirit said, you need to live up to the size of your book. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And, and I just, it was such a, a sweet thing, and I've been working on that ever since. What a great, what a great experience. Wow, I love it. All right, well, let's, let's dive in here uh, to our topic for a second. And the question I want to start with is because we're going to, we're going to talk about Elder Holland today, which I think both you and I have, in the, in the course of this Living Prophets course, you know, I shouldn't say in the course of this course, but in the course of our class. <laughs> we get it. We have talked and, and, and taught for a long time about his life and about his teachings. But maybe even before that, you know, I don't know if you were here at BYU when Elder Holland was the president. I know that I, I was. was, yeah. But my question is, is Phil, what kind of impact has Elder Holland just had on your life, both Incredible. as an educator and as an individual? 
I, I he, he's in the top five yeah. all time influencers for me in terms of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, absolutely no question. Uh, it's it's ridiculous the size of footprint yes. he has on my understanding. Yeah, and uh, I I just am so pleased with the things that I walk around with thinking differently than I had and t- unless he taught that. You know, I think of things like soul symbols and sacraments. You know what I mean? That amazing address about. The why of the beautiful law of chastity and right. why it is beautiful, et cetera. All those things were just opaque to me as a kid. You know, I didn't sure. know. Sure. I was like, well, they just don't want us to have any fun or something. <laughs> I, I didn't know. And that, but, man, that talk, it was just a whole other realm opened up of meaning and profound connection and all these things. I just, I was just a kid with raging hormones, you know, right. I mean? all of a sudden he contextualized all of that in such in a beautiful and inspiring way. That, that that's you know so he's just had a massive footprint for yeah me. and i know that in my own life uh, same thing right elder holland he's speaking at these uh, our devotionals here mm-hmm. it's like every talk is we, we would call in the sports world an instant classic yes you've yes. got the inconvenient messiah oh, wow yeah you've got uh, you know not only of soul symbols and sacraments but uh, we've got the bitter cup and the bloody baptism you know, we, and then even, you know, as it extends into the 90s and the 2000s, you know. Uh, Terror, triumph, and a wedding feast. Yeah, we still <laughs> quote from that, right? Totally. Um, you know, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Oh, There's not that's... a student on our campus, hopefully, that hasn't heard of that talk. And as Elder Holland addresses the whole issue of figuring out who to marry and <laughs> yes. how do I love thee? Another yeah. one, speaking yeah. of love. Anyway, so, so not only that, but Elder Holland's passion, you know, one of the things I'll tell my students is, okay, what's different about him? What's different about him than maybe some of the others? And we, we come to you know some of these conclusions of he's not afraid to just open up and just tell us. You know, right. just his own personal experiences and feelings, right, about, I mean... We all know the car story, right? The car oh, breaks down, and the two, right. the twenty six hundred mile, you know, what is that? The a high priest of good things to come, yes, you know. Yes. And, but he opens up, and he and he just shares, just not afraid to share that emotion and that passion. Yeah, it's so true. I, I remember the address where he he says, "Grab you by the lapels," and, you know, <laughs> send your eyebrows a little exactly, bit. Exactly, you know, it's just oh my word. Yeah, we love all that so much about him. Have you? So did you ever have, Phil, the opportunity to meet Elder Holland in person? Yeah. In fact, uh, when I was a student here, I worked for Robert Millet as a research assistant. Oh, wow. And Elder Holland, at the time of 70, uh, I think he was stationed in uh, or assigned in England, uh, as mm. I recall. So this would be right a, a, after yeah. his call. Yeah. Because I, I think yeah, that was his first, yeah, assignment, first assignment, right? He was working on Christ and the New Covenant, okay. right? His book on the Book of Mormon. And he had talked to... Brother Millet about, hey, and so Brother Millet said, okay, Phil, uh, let's go find these things. Let's right. see what, you know, Elder Holland's looking for some stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. So we spent several months working on some stuff. And amazingly, Elder Holland came. Uh, I can't remember why. It was probably for a general conference. But he was on campus and he met with Brother Millet and I got to join the meeting and got to share what we had found as he was looking for this and that and the other. And he was so gracious. He was just so kind. I couldn't believe that he would even, you know, he didn't need to meet with me. Sure, here you are, a student. But but he did. It was sweet. And it was just an amazing project to be even the tiniest part of. Oh, that is so cool. I had another experience I think you'll really like. Yeah. 
Uh, my wife and I were uh, allowed to uh, assigned to teach at the Jerusalem Center. Okay. So we're there in 2015, 2016. Elder Holland comes over with his wife, and uh, you know, God bless him now as he's without her, and right. her hearts are out to them, and uh, President Iring as well at this time. But but so the, my wife was serving in the Jerusalem branch primary. Okay. And all these other branches in the area, there were four other branches, they were all coming to hear uh, Elder Holland and Sister Holland, right? But somebody needed to be in the primary. And so Jennifer was the president of the, you know, and so <laughs> we put this program on and she's like, you don't have to stay. And I'm like, of course, I'm going to stay and work with you. And it was hard to get other people to come and be in the primary. Well, get this, middle of the meeting, he comes downstairs in the Jerusalem Center. We're in this bunker, right? We're okay. The fifth floor bunker where they hold the primary. <laughs> and we're, we're, having, we're having primary. Elder Holland comes in with this handful of young people in the primary and he talks to us about his experience as a kid. And he says, I'm in this church today because of primary. Wow. He says, my parents were, you know, maybe not as uh, strong in the gospels they might have been. He says, it was primary. And the songs we sang and the testimonies that I obtained as a primary kid that are why I'm here where I am today. Uh, isn't that great? Wow. It was so cool and so gracious of him yeah. to come and be with those primary kids. To come and do that. Just... And here you are in the Jerusalem Center looking out at that oh, incredible right. view and just thinking it's it's just like seeing someone just emulate what Christ would do if, exactly. if he would have been there, you know. And that picture, by the way, they took a picture of us, yeah. ended up on the church news front page. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, <laughs> that is so cool. That is so awesome. So what we're going to do, uh, Phil, is let's talk about, let's discuss just some of these teachings. And it's so hard, as, as I'm sure you would say, to pinpoint... <laughs> Okay, what are we going to land on today? There's so many things that we could, uh, you know, address, so to speak, or, or or highlight. But why don't we start with you, Phil, just one. One of Elder Holland's teachings, a theme, whatever you want to share that has been impactful to you. Thank you. I, I'm honored to do that. And well, I think one of the things he's done as much as anyone in the church is highlight the fact that Jesus was on the water with us. Right, that, that that he's he he because it's so easy, I think, at times to think, well, Jesus was perfect, and forget that that perfection came as a result of his grace to grace, grace for grace progression. He himself had a veil. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He, you know, fatigued more than we can even handle, and he experienced it. It was real for him. Right. And I just love that that Elder Holland has been kind of. Um, one of the key uh, authorities in the church to speak about that, that yeah. Jesus' reality. And so there's a, and then with it, a couple key words he defines. So, okay. so let me share one that I really love. This is from his October 99 address. And he says, It's not without a recognition of life's tempests, but fully and directly because of them that I testify of God's love and the Savior's power to calm the storm. Always remember in that biblical story that Jesus was out there on the water also. That he faced the worst of it right along with the newest and youngest and most fearful. Right. Wow. Only one who has fought against those ominous waves is justified in telling us, as well as the sea, to be still. Only one who has taken the full brunt of such adversity could ever be justified in telling us in such times to be of good cheer. Mm. And so... I just think that's such a, a, a massive part of my faith. Yes. Is that Jesus is this high priest who is touched with the feeling of my infirmities. Yeah. Right? And Elder Hans, one of the apostles that is quoted Alma 7, 
and said that at some point in the Savior's experiences, he knows what it's like to be sick and afflicted and right and have infirmities yes. and all of these things to be tempted. Paul, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, if it's not Paul. Uh, <laughs> could have been Elder Holland. Could have, right? Uh, says he was, he was in all points, right? Tempted like as we are. Yeah. And I just love that, that Elder Holland speaks of, of Jesus that way. In fact, I'll, I'll read another thing. Sure. A little bit more from what he says is, <clears throat> when he bids us to walk in his way and by his light, it is because he has walked this way before us. And this line, he mm. has made it safe for our own travel here. Mm. What a statement. Yeah. He's done it. And he's, he's made, made it, it safe. safe for us. He mm. knows where the sharp stones and the stumbling blocks lie hidden. He knows where the thorns and the thistles are the most severe. He knows where the path is perilous. He knows which way to go when the road forks and nightfall comes. He knows all this, as Alma says in the Book of Mormon, because he has suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, that he may know how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Mm. And I just, to me, that is just so cool. And so a related, you remember one of the things he does is he'll now and then define a term. Yeah. Or remind us of the true definition like of Like sucker. Term. This yeah, term, right? sucker, right? Where he says, and this he gave at, in 1997 at a devotional or a fireside address called Come Unto Me in March. But he says, sucker is often used in the scriptures to describe Christ's care for and attention to us. It means literally to run to. And mm. I think there's probably not that many in the church who aren't familiar with that. It's just his breadth, his reach, right? He continues, what a magnificent way to describe the Savior's urgent effort in our behalf. Even as he calls us to come to him and follow him, he's unfailingly running to help us. Mm-hmm. Love that. Right. And you think of Doctrine and Covenant section 81, right? Mm. Sucker the weak. We're gonna, we are running to those who are in distress versus what we would all just assume of, oh, we're supposed to help those right, people, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's just this amazing... And he, he has that ability, Elder Holland, to bring what might be somewhat abstract mm. to to terms that are poignant. Yeah. And they they touch us and therefore they're powerful. Yeah. You know? In fact, here's one. There's one more that I think is super interesting on this. Yeah. And it goes to the nature of Jesus and the Father. But he says, this is from a devotional that was just last year in January of 2022. Okay. And, and he says... He's quoted Mosiah 3.19, right? The, the natural man. Anyway, right. We've got to yield to the enticing spirit. And he says, I think the only commentary needed for this verse might be regarding the line suggesting God inflicts mm. trials and burdens upon us. And mm. now he does something super interesting. He says, in English, the word inflict, which comes from the Latin infligere, has at least two meanings. And he says, one is to strike or dash against. And the other mm. is to beat down. And then he says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, but those definitions are not applicable to God or his angels. Oh, wow. Whoa. Here's what he says. No. The proper definition of the word as King Benjamin used it. Wow. How about that apostolic insight into, okay. That's what apostles do. They they clarify scripture for us, right? And he's clarifying King Benjamin's statement. And he Mm. says, it's used... To, uh, he says, now the proper definition of the word, as King Benjamin used it, is to allow mm. something that must be born or suffered. Now, allowing something is different. God can and will do that if it is ultimately for our good. 
I'm going to say it again. He, he repeats himself. He says, God does not now, nor will he ever do to you a destructive, malicious, unfair thing ever. Wow. It is not in what Peter called the divine nature to even be able to do so. By definition and in fact, God is perfectly and thoroughly, always and forever good, and everything he does is for our good. Wow. Love that. <laughs> wow, right? I mean, I have learned more about the nature of God from Elder Holland than I think anyone else. And yeah. he's, I mean, I remember one of his messages, he's actually quoting the lectures on faith and helping us understand God's mercy and compassion and all those type of things. And here you are, uh, Phil, sharing that. This is, that's great. I love it. Isn't it so cool? I love that. God be thanked for Elder Holland. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, another, another theme that I've uh, landed on in my life and I think it's because I need this, uh, you know, on occasion. I need to be fortified, and I need my faith shored up and strengthened. But I, I would say, I would say this, and maybe, maybe Phil, you would too. But you know, in our study of the living prophets, I feel all of them are filled with faith and hope and optimism. But certainly, Elder Holland, uh, that has been a theme of his, no yeah. question about it. And. Uh, I'm just going to share a couple of those statements here, you know, that uh, have buoyed me up. He said, and this is in his talk, The Ministry of Angels, I ask everyone within the sound of my voice to take heart and to be filled with faith. And remember, the Lord has said that he would fight our battles and our children's battles and the battles of our children's children. <laughs> and what do we do to merit such defense? We are to search diligently, pray always, and be believing. And then all things will work together for our good. If we walk uprightly and remember the covenant... Wherewith we have covenant, quoting Doctrine and Covenants 90.24. But then this statement that the latter days are not a time to fear and to tremble. They are a time to, a time to be believing, to remember our covenants, you know, and to be strong, right? I mean, that's what he, he's talking about. Um, and once again, just there are so many of his messages that he's kind of shared this kind of theme of, how about this one from a Terror Triumph and a Wedding Feast mm-hmm. we mentioned a minute ago, that we must never in any age or circumstance let fear... And the father of fear, he says, Satan himself, divert us from our faith and faithful living. And then how about this? There have always been questions about the future, right? <laughs> this isn't never. Yeah, every generation. <laughs> every young person or every young couple in every era has had to walk by faith in what has always been some uncertainty, starting with Adam and Eve, he said. It's the plan. You'll be okay. Just be faithful. And I love this. God is in charge. He knows your name and he knows your need. You know, Elder Holland has said has said so many things, uh, you know, Phil, even in recent times that I feel like has kind of helped us navigate our way through this whole COVID yeah. crisis and other things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, another one that I'll share. Uh, let's see. How about this? I think this is also from Terror, uh, sorry, from Terror Triumph and a Wedding Feast, where he talks about that we can't and must not be paralyzed just because that event, he's talking about the second coming and the events surrounding it, are out there ahead of us somewhere. We can't stop living life. In fact, in this talk is where, you know, I love how there are so many times Elder Holland clarifies scripture and gospel teaching, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, it's almost his pattern that he's going to be quoting from the, he's going to tell us a scripture story or mm. he's going to start off that way in many times. But I love how he kind of helps us understand that, oh, actually, the second coming? Oh, that started in 1830. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've been uh, living in it for 200 years. It's, it's on. It's yeah. going on. Yeah, this is not something that, anyway. <laughs> but, but then he says this, in recent times, and he's talking about 9-11 in this talk. 
Uh, in fact, this talk was given on October, or sorry, September the 12th, I think 2004, so like, what, three years mm, literally yeah. after 9-11. Yeah. But he says, I suppose I've heard very fearful and even dismal opinions coming from some in your age group. He's talking to the young single adults regarding the, the questions that that missionary had in mind. The missionary was asking Elder Holland, is this it? Yeah. Right? Is this the end? Is right? <laughs> yeah. And Elder Holland is just addressing that in such a powerful way. And I've even heard some of you say, he said, that you wonder where there is any purpose in going on a mission, getting an education, planning for a career, if the world we live in is going to be so uncertain. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Phil. You can say it, too. But I remember, you know, here we were in, at BYU in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and we had general authorities addressing that same exact issue of, Boy, we have people that are afraid to marry, afraid to have career, yeah. uh, have children, because Jesus is coming any day. We all know that he is. So, <laughs> And now here's Elder Holland 30 years later yeah, saying the same yeah. type of things. <laughs> you know. But here's a, a continuation of that now. God expects you to have enough faith and determination and enough trust in him to keep moving, to keep living, to keep rejoicing. In fact, how about this? He expects you t- not only to embrace the future, but to shape it. And he's waiting for an opportunity to answer your prayers, just as he always has. But how about this? But he can't if you don't pray, and he can't if you don't dream, and in short, he can't if you don't believe. Yeah. Don't you love that? I do love that. It's inspiring. That's that's what Elder Holland does for me. I think he inspires, right? I feel I feel edified you know what, when, I, when I hear I, these messages, and I feel strengthened. What he does too is there's there's this kind of blanket encouragement, like you just just do it, you know, just go for it, you know, almost the Nike, you know. Yeah. But he doesn't. He says like, here's what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like this, even if it's a simple phrase, you know what I mean. But it, it looks like this. Yeah. And and, and I I appreciate that in his his uh, teachings and exhortations that it's encouragement with direction. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, really interesting. You and I were just in a meeting together. And I know that uh, Matt Richardson, one of our colleagues, has had several meaningful interactions with Elder Holland throughout his life. And one of them was when Matt was a BYU student. And, and to, to make a really long story really short, one of the things Elder Holland told Matt when, as he was a BYU student is, Matt, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. And as I sat next to Matt in that meeting today, I saw the you got to believe uh, banner going across his screen. And I thought, here is someone who was impacted by Elder Holland in 1986. And here we are now, 40 years later, and he's still drawing from that well, so to speak. Here's one, Phil, that got us through in our stake presidency during COVID. Because mm-hmm. we, we wanted to tell our members, look. The church isn't stopping. I mean, the church isn't going to stop just because we have a, a worldwide <laughs> epidemic, right? So I was always continually trying to share with our members, guys, we're, we're dedicating temples. Uh, missionaries are baptizing people. The work is going on. Here's Elder Holland during that time. He says, I testify that the future is going to be as miracle-filled and bountifully blessed as the past has been, and that we have every reason to hope for blessings even greater than those we have already received because this is the work of the Almighty God, and this is the church of continuing revelation, and this is the gospel of Christ's unlimited grace and benevolence. Wow. Do you remember when he said that? I, you know, I can't help but think that when he says that, that President Nelson's words now uh, come to my <laughs> mind. because As a second witness. Exactly, of that very thing. That yeah. in coming days, we're going to see greater miracles than we've ever seen right. of Jesus Christ. And here's Elder Holland teaching that 
and now President Nelson re- reconfirming and you know that's yeah. of course come out of Jeremiah a bit there too right from right. the Old Testament but now I love that yeah I do too one more and this one is once again I love what you said about there's the general you can do it but there's also the very specific you know what does this look like there was a talk that Elder Holland gave in 2016 that probably most members of the church aren't aware of because it was the evening with the general authority, right, mm-hmm. where he spoke to the Seminary and Institute personnel. If, if anyone out there who's listening struggles with fear or anxiety, this is the talk to read. In fact, the title was Be Not Afraid, Only Believe, which I have to think is one of Elder Holland's themes. Oh, it totally is. Yes. <laughs> and in that talk, he just addresses all the hard issues and the need for faith and belief and hope. But there, here's the specific, you know, to go to your specific idea for a minute, that we know for certain that if and when everything else in the latter days is down or dying, if governments, economies, industries, and institutions crumble, if societies and cultures become a quagmire of chaos and insecurity, nevertheless, through all of it, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, will stand triumphant, he said. It will stand undefiled, in God's hand until the very Son of God himself comes to rule and reign as the Lord of lords and King of kings. And nothing is more certain in this world, nothing is more sure, and nothing could be more of an antidote to anxiety, he said. Now, I just, you know, he's going to go on and quote, you know, uh, the standard of truth, you know, that right. no unhallowed hand can stop right. the work from progressing. But he says this in 2016, it's applicable in 2020, 21, as we navigate our way through COVID, that the very thing Elder Holland said is kind of what happened. I mean, as the as the world shut down, mm. the church just kept marching on. Yeah. And in my mind, this will continue. This pattern will just continue as as other things happen in this world. That's right. Oh no, I couldn't agree more. You know, to speak um, of faith and his call to to believe and be faithful. Right. Uh, I, I'd like to dovetail onto that a little bit, and and in this case. You, we just were talking about kind of global pandemics and massive, you know, societal issues and things. But there's also these kind of tectonic shifts that take place in a person's individual faith, right? And so many of us are familiar with family and friends, and we have grappled likely with what we might term faith crises, sure. you know? And so I love that Elder Holland has taught a lot about how to handle that and what to do about that. And, uh, you know, because all of us in some way or another find that, uh, like Joseph Smith said, you know, a religion doesn't, that doesn't call on everything you got, right? It's, <laughs> it does no power to save you, ultimately. Right. And so as we get called on and in all the ways that it takes for us to become godly and leave behind all of our natural men and women, you know, there's a pretty significant uh, challenge that, that, that poses. Sure. And so I want to share something from a leadership training I was in that isn't accessible to everyone, but then I want to share something that is accessible that's similar. Yeah, but but he was addressing an, in a leadership training. So this is Elder Holland at like this a state or regional, and this was at a, a, a regional leadership training in Rexburg, Idaho. Yeah, uh, last May. In, okay. Well, well, 2022 May. Okay. Okay. So so I'm there, and I was the host. Uh, I, I had the privilege mm-hmm. to serve in a stake there, and I we were the host stake. Yeah. And so it was really cool to have that personal interaction with him. But he he got with this group, and he said, "How do you rekindle faith for those that are leaving the church?" You got this question. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be really cool. (laughs) And what he did was he went to Alma 32. 
and you know verses 26 and 27 that you know this has got to exercise even a particle of faith right right and then he said but he, again he got specific he said what does this look like he says there are legitimate questions people have and there are issues for each person he said but the first thing you should always ask either yourself or the person that you're striving to help is is do you want the church to be true mm. wow do you want that right and, he, and then he then he goes back down with 30 years and says, let that desire work in you, right? There so you though this process of like, oh, what do I do? I've run across a question about this or that or the other. I don't know the answer to it. And maybe nobody knows the answer to it. And oh, what do I do with that? His, his response is, well, what do you want? Mm. Do you want the church to be true? And he says, if, the, if you do, if the, that's a particle. And he says, just go. let that particle work in you. He says, with one particle of faith, work then to add another. Turn one particle into two, then three, and on to four. That's faith. And then he said this, the second question, is there anything that you like about hmm. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Let that work in you. What yes. is it that you like? So, so maybe I don't know the answer to this particular issue or that one, but I love the fact that people beyond the veil who never had opportunities are going to have the atonement of Christ brought to them and they're going to have the opportunity that they missed in this life. And I love that justice and mercy of God rolled into this work of gathering, you know, Israel on both sides of the veil. And nobody else gives me that. Yeah. Nobody else gives me that. And the New Testament says that they did that. And now, and so maybe I don't know the answer to why this or that happened, but I like this. And he says, it's okay. Just like that, let that work in you. And it's just so cool. So insightful. Wow. Find, find that foundation, right? Find the, find the foundation for yourself and act on it. Yeah, right? So he continues and he says, hold fast to these particles. And then he quotes, he went to Mark chapter 9 with the father of the, you know, the, the lunatic, if you will. And when the father came to it and he'd asked Jesus if he would heal his son, Jesus' response is, do you believe? Do you yeah. have faith? And, and he, Elder Holland says, this dad says, Lord, I believe, right? So he's saying, I, I do believe. I've got something. I got a particle. But of course, his concern was, but it's not enough, is it? Mm. And I think that's where we get discouraged sometimes. Like, well, I do like the fact that this or that or the other, but it may not feel like it's enough to overcome or compensate for the things I don't know, right? And so what he did, Elder Holland says, he pleaded with the Lord. So he brought his particle of faith. Mm. And isn't that a fun phrase? Yes. A, a particle of faith. Right? <laughs> he brought his particle of faith and he says, and then he pleaded with the Lord, help thou mine unbelief. Mm. Yeah. Asking Jesus to, in essence, add another particle. Yeah. I got this particle. It may be pathetic. It may seem like so not enough, but mm. wilt thou add the next particle that I need? So we start, do I want it? Do I want it to be true? And is there something I like? Mm. And Lord thou, add my next part. Add the next part, yeah. Oh, Isn't I it love beautiful? That. I love that. Now, one other thing that he can find, this is now from something we could locate, and this is his January 2023, just this last year, worldwide devotional. And he says, we need to know that some, at some point our hopes and our convictions will undoubtedly be tested. And we're going to be mm. refined in a similar crucible of personal suffering. My beautiful young friends, untested faith isn't much faith at all. Mm. Wow. 
But the yeah. adversary would want you to go, oh, see, you're struggling with your faith, so it must not be true, and, and you're, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he says, no, 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 actually, that's normal. That's healthy. That's, that's totally healthy and normal. Yeah. He says, we say that we're built on the rock of Christ. Well, we'd better be, because life has its storms and its squalls. And a sandy foundation simply will not hold when the wind blows, the rain descends, and the floods come. And then he offered this blessing. I bless any among you who might be speaking these days of a faith crisis. Real faith, life-changing faith, Abrahamic faith is always in crisis. <laughs> that is how you find out if it's faith at all. <laughs> I promise you that more faith will mean less crisis until finally God says, well done thou good and faithful servant. That's, wow. <laughs> so good, Phil. Right. So good. And spelled out, what do you do? Ask yeah. yourself this question. And then ask yourself this question. And then go. I mean, just so specific. Here's how you handle it. Maybe one last thought on that. Sure. He says, he says, and this is General Conference of April 2013. So April 2013, he says, when those moments come and the issues surface, the resolution of which is not immediately forthcoming, one, mm. hold fast to what you already know. Stand strong until additional knowledge comes. Right? He says, the size of your faith, the degree of your knowledge isn't the issue. It's the integrity you demonstrate toward the faith you do have and the truth mm. you already know. So that's one key thing. Hold fast to what you got. Right? right. Then he says, don't hyperventilate. Time to time issues are going to come. You're going to need to look and examine and understand and resolve. He says, they do and they will. He says, but in this church, what we know will always trump what we don't know. Yeah. Wow. Right? See how he's reinforcing these in various mm -hmm. settings? That, now the third thing. When doubt or difficulty come, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. If we want it as humbly and honestly as this father did, we can get it. We go about it with real intent, and he will give it to us. So I just, I just love how that is. Add to your particles. You can get help. Hold to what you got. Make sure you want, you, yeah. you even want it. And he, this all wraps into this beautiful thing where Jesus will keep us going. Yeah. Wow. That's so, Phil, so good. So, so powerful, so relevant. I, lo I, I love it. Thank you for adding on to that. Uh, you know, and, and I, as you were talking, one of the things I thought is we, we actually could probably talk for the rest of the day <laughs> about faith. Just that. And hope, you know, from Elder Holland. I mean, it's, it's just one of his themes. You know, he just has that ability I always, I always have admired the quality in others, and you know people who have had this. You may have it, Phil, mm -hmm. but it's when you're in their presence and you feel edified and healed when you walk away. I know that at George Albert Smith's funeral, Matthew Calley, one of his, I would say one of his uh, apprentices, mm -hmm. you know, said that to be in his presence was to be healed. To be in the presence of George Albert Smith was to be healed. And I feel it would, it, it would be the same way with Elder Holland. You would yeah. just walk away always feeling healed literally you know i'll tell you what at that priesthood leadership training yeah uh we set him up in the stake president's office and as i turned to go and made sure he had what he needed he gave me a hug mm. he gave me a hug he didn't say anything yeah he just gave me a hug and it it was as you can imagine it was just beautiful and yeah. healing he didn't say a word didn't even need to did didn't he didn't even just it was amazing. Just felt that power and felt that <laughs> spirit. I feel it as you as you're just sharing felt that. Felt this pure love, the pure love of Christ. Here's another here's another kind of theme for me. And, and once again, there's 
Wow, it's so there's so many, but I I love this idea. He taught it, and you, you refer to this talk, and I think we should share it with everyone who's listening that are interested. But it was "Come Unto Me." Mm-hmm. It would have been one of Elder Holland's maybe first talks at a BYU devotional back when they did it that way for the for the you know the monthly devotional for our apostles. It may have been one of his first times back to BYU. It was, it was in 1997. You know, he was called in '94. But in that talk, he is so open and candid and even shares this great experience in his life of what it was like to kind of be popular in high school and to have a, a lot of kind of great experiences. and But also at the same time, the heartache that went with recognizing that he may have shut a few people out. And mm. and he kind of shares that story in such an open way. But one of the things he, he tells, he shares in that talk is that this, he said that for anyone out there seeking the courage to repent and to change, I remind you that the church is not a monastery for the isolation of perfect people. It is more like a hospital provided for those who wish to get well. And I've always, you know, I've heard that idea taught by others, uh, but Elder Holland had a way to articulate it in such a precise way that we're all broken, right? We're all jacked up. Yes. We all need help, and there's no perfect people. So just get over it, and, <laughs> and re- but recognize that the doctrines of the gospel are here to help us and to heal us. It's so comforting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, to know that... It lets us embrace what Nephi said in 1 Nephi 10, right? All are fallen, all are lost. Yeah. Unless we rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ, right? Right. So it's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. And I think if the metaphor really is that the church is a hospital, maybe that changes the way that we act. Maybe that changes the way that we serve. Yes. You know, the church is a hospital. It's kind of, it reminds me of President Irene's famous statement that he's now shared several times in different ways that, you know, what is it, Phil, help me with it, but the idea is that if you look around and and whoever you see, half of them will be in yeah, serious trouble, and now right. he's saying, oh, it's actually a lot more than half. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. quoting Wilbur Cox, yes, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, anyway, and, and it's just, there. that's where we all sit. I mean, I, I can drive down, I remember I could drive down my street as the bishop of our ward and look at every home mm-hmm. and just recognize that including ourselves, that all of us have something that we're wrestling with. I couldn't think of one house where... There, there just were no problems, you know, that yeah. we all had something, right? Yeah. Here's another one uh, from Elder Holland. And once again, just the insight, you know, like you're talking about, Phil, the way he opens up the scriptures. Of course, we are all speaking here of the first great commandment given to the human family to love God wholeheartedly without reservation or compromise. That is, with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength. This love of God is the first great commandment in the universe, <laughs> but the first great truth in the universe is that God loves us exactly that way, wholeheartedly, without reservation or compromise, with all his heart, might, mind, and strength. When those majestic forces from his heart and ours meet without restraint, there is a veritable explosion of spiritual moral power. Isn't that great that the first great truth in the universe is, is how much God actually loves every single one of us and knows us? Isn't that amazing? It's kind of mind-blowing how that works. <laughs> it really is. But isn't that fun? We can all, we all know the first great commandment. But now he says, now, but do you know the first great truth? Truth, yeah. And there's an apostle of Jesus Christ amplifying and and shifting and morphing, right, something that's easy to grasp Yeah. in, in the sense of, like, it's a phrase we, we all We all know, quote that verse, right? right? But it's now it's like, ah, but do you know this? And how 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 will you be able to feel more comfortable in the hospital? When you know this. Yeah. Oh, so great. I love it. 
Well, Phil, let's turn to you for maybe another uh, kind of theme or insight or, or message that, from Elder Holland that's inspired you. Yeah, well, it's been lovely to spend the time and the hour with everyone. And then kind of my concluding, if you will, thought is to return again in many ways to Jesus Christ. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in, in all that he does, sometimes I can get lost in this thought or this theme or this whatever and, and forget that, wait, it's all about the Father it's all about Jesus. It's right. all about what President Nelson calls the fabulous plan yeah. of our Father, right? And so I love, I love in here, uh, this is from the grandeur of God. Oh. And that was the one where he <laughs> kind of quotes big tracts of, of Enoch right? yeah. in, in Moses 7. But he says, One of the many magnificent purposes served in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, one great aspect of that mission often goes uncelebrated. His followers did not understand it fully at the time, and many in modern Christianity do not grasp it now. But the Savior himself spoke of it repeatedly and emphatically. Mm. It is the grand truth that in all that Jesus came to say and do, including and especially his atoning suffering and sacrifice, he was showing us who and what God our Eternal Father is like how completely devoted he is to his children in every age and nation. In word and in deed, Jesus was trying to reveal and make personal to us the true nature of his Father, our Father, mm. in heaven. Wow. Right? Back to the nature of God yes, theme, right? <laughs> it is. And, it, and so Elder Holland's so wonderful in unpacking that for us. And, and so... I just think it's so beautiful. And, and so another thought here, this is from the Enzyme of January uh, 20, 2003. Uh, he's speaking of Jesus in his unspeakably wrenching and nature-shattering pain. Mm. And his point is, Christ remained true. In the end, and what was he true to, right? In the end, he yielded his will to the will of his Father. And he said, not mm. my will, but thine be done. Continuing his quote, that is, for all intents and purposes, the last moment in the divine conversation between Father and Son in Jesus' mortal ministry. From there on, the die had been cast, he would see it through no matter what. Wow. Right? And so, to conclude my part on this, from that last declaration, and this is from that Enzyme article of January 2003, from that last declaration in the old world, we get this first declaration in the new. Mm. To the Nephites gathered at the temple, what's he say? I am Jesus Christ, the light and life of the world. I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me. And I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. That is his own introduction of himself the declaration he feels will best tell these people who he is. Just love that Elder Holland helps us not just see Jesus, but to see Jesus saying, don't just see me. Philip, have you been so long with me? All right, mm. quoting Jesus, <coughs> that you haven't seen the Father? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so here's Elder Holland saying, yeah, let's not miss the Father in all of this. Yeah. It's an incredible sequence that we learn from Elder Holland on the, the Christ, you know, or the Father. They introduce themselves. They, they help us understand their identity, but then they're going to teach us our identity. That's right. 
you see it all that you see that pattern and and that's another one Phil that you just brought up is I'm thinking of all these instant classics but his talk the will of the father in all things in all things if you haven't read it it's it's incredible I mean they all are his talk his messages are so powerful one of the things then Phil I would end with is just this uh, great uh, this great statement that Elder Holland makes because Maybe another theme is his expression of love and gratitude to the saints. And he yeah. seems to be really good at, at at capturing that, but also expressing it here in one of his messages. Indeed, in this afternoon's session, we will have more a more formal opportunity to raise our hands in a sustaining vote, not only for President Monson, but also for all the other general officers of the church as well. And because my name will be included on that list, May I be so bold as to speak for all in thanking you in advance for those uplifted hands. Not one of us could serve without your prayers and without your support. Your loyalty and your love mean more to us than we can ever possibly say. In that spirit, my message today is to say that we sustain you. Mm. Have you ever heard that before? (laughs) You know, and that we return to you those same heartfelt prayers and that same expression of love. We all know there are special keys, covenants, and responsibilities given to the presiding officers of the church, but we also know that the church draws incomparable strength, a truly unique vitality from the faith and devotion of every member of this church, whoever you may be, he says. (laughs) No matter, you know, he's going to talk about no matter how inadequate you feel, we love you. You know, we need you. That's kind of the that's kind of the message. But then he gets really specific here. I am grateful for young women leaders who go to girls camp. There's not one young <laughs> women leader that doesn't need to hear that from an apostle, right? Right. And from their bishop and stake president. Yes. And probably their 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 spouses as well if they have spouses. <laughs> but without shampoo, showers, or mascara, turn smoky campfire testimony meetings into some of the most riveting spiritual experiences those girls or those leaders will experience in their lifetime. I am grateful for all the women in the church who in my life have been as strong as Mount Sinai and as compassionate as the Mount of Beatitudes. Another, mm. This is getting Elder Maxwellish, it right? It is. Maxwellian. Yeah. We smile sometimes about our sister's stories. You know, the green-yellow quilts. <laughs> oh, sorry, green-yellow quilts and funeral <laughs> potatoes, right? But my family has been the grateful recipient of each of those items at one time or another. And in one case, the quilt and the funeral potatoes on the same day, it was just a small quilt, tiny really, to make my deceased baby brother's journey back to his heavenly home as warm and comfortable as our Relief Society sisters wanted it to be. The food provided for our family after the service, voluntarily given without a single word from us, was gratefully received. Smile, if you will, about our traditions, but somehow... The too often unheralded women in this church are always there when hands hang down and knees are feeble. They seem to grasp instinctively the divinity of Christ's declaration that inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And then not to leave the men out, he says, and no less the brethren of the priesthood, I think, for example, of the leaders of our young men who, depending on the climate and continent, either take bone-rattling 50-mile hikes or dig and actually try to sleep in ice caves for it have to be the longest nights of human experience. And Phil, I'm sure you and I can relate to many of those <laughs> yes, over our days. I am grateful for memories of my own high priest group in which a few years ago took turns for weeks sleeping on a small recliner in the bedroom of a dying quorum member so that his aged and equally fragile wife could get some sleep 
through those final weeks of her of his sweetheart's life. I am grateful for the church's army of teachers, officers, advisors, and clerks to say nothing of people who are forever setting up tables and taking down chairs. <laughs> I am grateful for ordained patriarchs, musicians, family historians, and couples who trundle off to the temple at 5 o'clock in the morning with little suitcases, now almost bigger than they are. <laughs> I am grateful for selfless parents who perhaps for a lifetime care for a challenged child, sometimes with more than one challenge and sometimes with more than one child. And I am grateful for children who close ranks later in life to give back to their ill or aging parents. And that goes on. But you could just hear and probably feel the emotion that that would have been said, how that would have been carried across the pulpit by Elder Holland. And once again, just not afraid to open up, not afraid to share his deepest thoughts and, and feelings from his heart and to thank the general membership of the church, you know, for, for what they do. Yeah, so great. So gracious, right? Yeah. I think I think that's probably the the enduring thing that I'll take from Elder Holland is the graciousness one who is so talented, so colossally uh, good himself, but he was so open and so inclusive of everyone. And just the what you just shared, you know, it's just it's spanning from the kids to the oldest and everyone in between. And I would just say that, that, that perhaps this passage of scripture that he quoted um, in April of 2016 General Conference, he said, when there was controversy in the early church regarding those that were entitled to heaven's blessings and those that weren't. The Lord declared through the prophet Joseph Smith, Verily I say unto you, the gifts of God are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep my commandments, and for them that seeketh so to do. Mm. He then said, Boy, aren't we all thankful mm. for that added provision, and so seeketh, or and seeketh so to do. That has been a lifesaver because sometimes that is all we can offer. Mm -hmm. Wow. We, he then says <laughs> we could take solace in the fact that if God were to reward only the perfectly faithful, he wouldn't have much of a distribution list. <laughs> Back to the hospital, right? Right. <laughs> and, and he's there with us. Yeah. Just like he testified of Jesus being on the water with us, yeah. having to learn to walk on that water. And we're here, and I love that about Eller Holland. I always feel like he's... He's in it with us. Yeah, I agree, Phil. I think that's great. In fact, I, if I had a closing thought, it would be I've always wondered, or I've always wished that I had a chance to personally thank him for yeah. the influence he's had on my life uh, in so many ways. Just so many prayers have been answered through the words that he shared. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember uh, lying on a bed, you know, just deathly ill on one occasion, and but listening to one of his talks. Hmm. and just almost rising up and walking, you know, kind of thing. Oh, right. you know? I mean, empowered. it was just a low time of life, but his his words have been inspiring. And uh, and for all, for all of us, you know, there's a way to, there's a way that we can give thanks, I'm sure, whether it's letters or, or whatever, but uh, what a great soul. There's only a few that come around, as you know, that <laughs> there will never be another one of blank, right? Yeah. We've said that about so many, but... There, there, there's no possible way that there's two Jeffrey R. Hollands out there. I think there's just one. He's what, a dispensational personality, isn't he? Yeah, no question about it. And and what a great blessing for all of us to have lived in this dispensation and this in this specific time uh, to be taught and influenced by someone who is certainly a disciple of 
of Christ in every way. Every way. So, Phil, thank you so much for being with me today. This has been awesome. I've loved sharing these thoughts oh, with you. I have been so honored and, and uplifted because of what you shared and the chance to share this. Thank yeah. you. Very grateful. Yeah. Well, everyone who's listening, we hope you that this makes a difference in your life, and we hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.